Welcome all you plus two comedy modifiers to the Slash Fiction World Championships. Yes, we are on the road to episode number 100 of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast. And to celebrate, I am uploading the Slash Fiction World Championships number three absolutely free. So please enjoy this. But if you want to throw us $2, originally this was going to cost $2. There is PayPal below in the description. So if you want to make a little donation to help us celebrate episode 100 and all that good stuff, that would be much appreciated and we would be very thankful. Other than that, be sure to come see us at Otakon. We're going to be at Otakon. That's going to be the 24th and the 26th of July. We'll be doing our brand new Beyond the Tentacle and we'll be doing stand-up. And that's about it. So now take it away, perverts, I guess. This is not safe for work. You've been warned. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Slash Fiction World Championship. We got some food and we got some food and drink specials for you guys. We got two dollar domestic bottles, uh, five dollar comedy cosmos, and five dollar appetizers. Sound good? Yes. You guys ready for your show? Yes. All right, then give it up for your hosts for the evening, Noah Houlihan. What's up, everybody? Welcome, everyone, to the Slash Fiction World Championships. Uh, just so you guys know, we are recording this for the podcast. Uh, so laugh loud and laugh towards the microphone. <laughs> Is that what works best? Uh, give it up uh, for uh, DJ Public Domain, who will be playing Public Domain songs throughout the evening. <laughs> so we don't get in trouble on the internet. So if you haven't been here before, this is the Slash Fiction World Championships. You are going to hear ten horrible stories to destroy your childhood about things that either you suggested or a bunch of perverts thought would be funny to make fuck. So get ready for that. We work in two rounds. We are going to have the amateur round. The amateur round is full of people that wrote things ahead of time on a topic that they chose in advance uh, the other round is the professional round, and they have, through the course of this show, the amateur round, to write their slash fiction based off the suggestions that you guys wrote at the beginning of the show. So I'm going to start the show by giving them their their uh, topics. Now, the way this works is I'm going to call them up one by one. I'm going to give them the first two suggestions on the top. They can choose either of them, or if they hate both of them, we can throw them away, and they'll have to do whatever the third option is. All right, let's get a show going. The first comedian I'll bring up is the host of a podcast that used to exist called Two Mustaches and the host of a podcast that used to exist called Promania. Please give it up for Alex Perlman. How you feeling, Alex? I'll be hosting at Helium this Wednesday for their burlesque show. Uh, that that didn't used to exist. They're doing a burlesque show at Helium? Yes. All right. I got two suggestions for you. You can write a slash fiction about The Muppet Show. <laughs> or Xena, Warrior Princess, and Justin Bieber. <laughs> you can choose either of those. No, <laughs> you can't take both. You take either of those, or we can pull for what whatever will be next on the deck. 
Okay, I'm torn. I was just at a wedding where the Muppet show, uh, Muppets Take Manhattan, they literally reenacted that for their own wedding. And it was the fucking most adorable thing I've ever seen. And I have jizzed so much to the warrior princess that is Justin Bieber. Let's go. Uh, you know what? No, I, these are too, these are too good. Give me the third one. You're gonna go. These are too good, so let's see. You have to do whatever is on the next card, and it's Game of Thrones. Woo! So Alex Perlman will be doing Game of Thrones. To the back with you, sir. <laughs> Your next comedian is a virgin to comedy shows. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Tara Flynn. Woo! This is Tara Finn, Flynn's first show. I met her at Zenkai Con. This is what she's cutting her teeth on. You ready? Yeah. All right. Your choices are uh, Professor Farnsworth from Futurama or the Sand People from Star Wars and Taylor Swift. You can choose either of those or you can go with whatever's on the top of the deck. What do you choose, Tara Flynn? I feel like one might get real racist, but... Uh... Yeah, I'm short, so... I'm... Um... I'll go Sand People. Sand People and Taylor Swift. There you go. Good luck, Tara. To the back with you. Uh, you're... I hope that came up on the mics. Your next comic is a member of Plus Two Comedy, and he does a podcast with me every week at Adventureland on Thursday. Please give it up for Will Liam. Who the fuck else wrote Sand People? The Tuscan Raiders, right? I know. Okay. It's a racy show. <laughs> your, your choices are uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar or Tina Bletcher. I don't know who Tina, Tina Bletcher... Oh, Tina Belcher. From Bob's Burgers. Tina or Kareem? Now, both of them are alone, so. <laughs> he took both of them and ran away, so I guess that's that was an option. Your next comedian uh, helps run an open mic with me and a bunch of other guys right here at the Tap Room every Wednesday. He's also a host of The Crapulent. Please give it up for Neil Carroll. How you feeling, Neil? Oh, I really hope I get sand people. <laughs> All right, let's see what the deck holds for you. Neil Carroll, he's holding his ears. Uh, Tiger Woods, or, I want to tell you right now, the crowd wasn't feeling that one. Someone wrote it. Or Gravity Falls. <laughs> and that one I feel like is going to require some Googling on your app. <laughs> you can go with either one of these, or we can see what's next on the top of the deck. He's going to go with Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods not playing to the crowd. And finally, he was a former professional round slash fiction champion. He's also a member of Plus Two Comedy and the End Crowd. Please give it up for Vegas Lancaster. How you feeling, Vegas? Feel good. I got so many friends here. <laughs> the deck is stacked. Vegas... 
What do you feel like doing? Would you like to do Groot and Poison Ivy? Whoa. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> or you can do uh, Jenna Jameson and Peter North. There you go, sir. Oh, you missed out on the chance of doing Bill and Hillary Clinton. What a shame. All right, I'm going to read a quick one uh, of my own just to get you guys warmed up before we bring up the uh, the actual uh, competitors, just so you guys know what you're in for. Uh, I wrote uh, a little slash fiction uh, about trivia crack. So this is about trivia crack. Bring. Which of these Academy Award nominated actors was in a porn? Oh, Sylvester Stallone. Bing! Eve Entertainment appeared. She was a beautiful pink popcorn box. She explored her lonely world, but she did not feel fulfilled. So she reached deep into her box. Her hands were not nearly enough for her to feel pleasure. So she just grabbed a handful of her own body and ate it, which is a thing I never understood from the game, but that's a fucking thing that happens. <laughs> she sat there and wondered if anyone would ever join her. She also wondered, in what novel does a character actually hire a hooker? Oh, that was Catcher in the Rye. Bring Adam Art appeared. He was a long, thick, hard paintbrush. <laughs> he looked at Eve and said, Hey, I like your box. I bet I could fit in there. He jammed the handle end of his paintbrush which is what he is, into her box and thrusted hard, popcorn shooting everywhere. Eve moaned in pleasure. It went over and over, thrusting deeper and deeper, harder and harder. The rubbing uh, caused heat to be produced in a process known as... Um, oh, friction! <laughs> Sammy Science appeared and watched the two fucking... He, he was so overtaken by the insane lust between the two that he began to rub the cylinder that he was faster and faster. So turned on until pink goo shot out of the top of his head. Oh, it was quite the sight to be seen. Eve looked at Sammy and said, you know, there's room in this box for you. Eve found herself double penetrated by a graduated cylinder and a paintbrush. Harder and harder until they both fell collapsed on the ground. They were exhausted. They could really go for a cigarette or a beer. But there was a law that was once passed that prevented beer from being sold. Oh, prohibition. Hen uh, Helen History appeared. In her night costume. And she was ready to suck some dick. She walked in. <laughs> Call me General Custard, because I'm going down on all of you. And she began sucking some dick. 
She started by blowing Sammy, who again shot pink goo out of the top of his head. Again, a thing I don't understand because he's full of a green liquid, but whatever. He then started to blow Art, and Art was like, yeah, you take it, you fucking slut. What? What the fuck did you just call me? You know what? Do you know what the capital of Thailand is? Bangkok! And punched him in the dick! Just then, Gregory Geography rolled in. He was a giant planet. And it seemed like no one liked him, so a storm crowd appeared above his head. But luckily, it caused a big little tree, a big little tree, whatever, fuck it, (laughs) to come out of the top of his head. See, Gregory was round. He had nothing to insert into Eva's box. Oh, until that tree showed up. And he began to fuck Eva's box with his tree. Now, meanwhile, Art wandered away with Sammy Science. He said, what's the matter, Adam, Art? He said, well... You guys are great, and I enjoy fucking you. But I see another. He's an orange oval, and every time I paint a picture, he's always in the picture. I dream of one day finding this character and fucking him so hard. Sammy Science looked at Adam Art and said, Maybe one day you will. But until then, I have one question for you. Which of the following athletes did not play two or more professional sports? Fuck, I don't know anything about sports. Uh, Michael Jordan did basketball and baseball. I learned that from Space Jam. Um, I think Deion Sanders played baseball for a little bit. Uh, I don't know who Bo Jackson is. I'm going to go with Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson! And then everything froze. It wasn't their turn anymore. They had to wait for someone else to screw up their questions so they could continue their, argue, their, their terrible, terrible orgy. But three days passed, and it never happened. Thank you so much, guys. You guys ready for the Slash Fiction World Championships? Your first comedian runs a podcast called Logan Does Podcast. Please give it up for Mike Logan. Yeah, hey, all right. Oh, fuck me. All right, uh, so this is, uh, this is called Star Wars Episode Seven and a Half Inches. <laughs> Luke Skywalker drifted alone in deep space at the seat of his X-Wing fighter. R2-D2 had gone into sleep mode, running background calculations on how to improve the power output of the spaceship. The console lights in the cockpit blinked and hummed, caressing Luke as he relaxed deeper into the pilot's chair. He teetered on the brink between sleep and consciousness, replaying that one time Leia totally kissed him on the cheek before they swung gallantly across a gaping canyon. The crotch of his flight suit tightened, and it took all he had to remind himself that they were, in fact, siblings. In a brief moment of intense agony followed by sudden pleasure, Luke could feel the force course through his veins. His mind raced with images of a swamp planet, a heavenly body he had frequented before. On the planet was a small green man, and nothing but a bath towel, tending to the hut that once belonged to Master Yoda. The green man danced vibrantly to the sound of the swamp, hopping about the grounds in a youthful fervor. Luke could tell the man was very old, but could feel an attraction like nothing he'd ever felt before. He was being called to the Dagobah system. 
Luke fired up the X-Wing's engines and put the ship in flight mode. He set a course for Dagobah, full throttle. <laughs> the ride would take several hours, so Luke sat back and searched his feelings. He knew he had to go to Dagobah, but why? What was this attraction he felt, not only through the Force, but in his heart? Luke brought the X-Wing out of hyperdrive and began his ascent to the planet. He spotted Yoda's hut and brought the ship down, being extra careful as it's not sinking into that bog like that first time. <laughs> Luke's heart raced as he saw the lights of the hut from the cockpit. The green man was in there. Luke could fear his presence. Peering into the hut, Luke could now see the green man in his full glory. The small creature wore nothing but a tattered bath towel, which didn't leave much to the imagination. The green man was doing something at the table, cutting meat or something. Luke could feel his body being pulled towards him, an attraction he hadn't felt in a long time. He made a slight cough to alert his presence. The gray man didn't even pick his head up and spoke in a light-hearted voice. Took you long enough. Luke was startled by the greeting. He hadn't really expected the green man to know he was coming. Not exactly sure what to do. Look, Luke took a step into the hut. It was exactly how he remembered it, with the addition of a dark figure in the corner. Luke immediately recognized this as the Darth Vader robot that made him, Yoda had made him fight during his training. Yoda spoke softly to the young man, or to the old man. Uh, you knew I was coming? Of course I did. I'm the one that called you. Who are you? The green man turned around to face Luke, finally showing his face. And much to Luke's surprise, he looked exactly like Master Yoda. The bath towel slipped down slightly, and the green man made no attempt to fix it. <laughs> this was my brother's hut. My twin brother, actually. His name was Yoda. I'm sure you know him. Y yeah, you could say I knew him. What's your name? Luke's hand trembled with anticipation. A small bead of sweat dripped down his temple. Uh, well, that's a funny story. Uh, my name is Yoda. <laughs> You're Yoda's twin brother, Yoda? Yeah, I know. We're really we're not really a creative species. We kind of get one thing and we like to stick with it. <laughs> then why don't you talk like him? Because I'm not a preachy show-off. <laughs> Luke had never heard anyone say a bad word about Master Yoda before. He liked it. <laughs> what are you doing here? Luke asked. Why did you call me here? Well, you know, I came to tend to my brother's hut after he's passed. I was getting a little lonely, so I decided to send out some feelers and see who showed up. As far as what I want from you, well, that depends on how comfortable you are with yourself. What do you mean? asked Luke. Come on, kid, don't play the prude. You can feel it. There's something between us. Luke looked down at his feet. He wasn't sure what to say. Of course he felt something towards Yoda, or the original Yoda, or well, both of them, really. <laughs> Come on, kid, let's eat dinner first. Luke and Yoda prepared all the food they had, from the meat being chopped to those weird mozzarella sticks that the original Yoda tried to steal that one time. The two had a wonderful feast and decent conversation. There was wine and laughs, and R2 even played some mellow, soothing music to help ease things along. Luke could feel his attraction inside him towards Yoda building. Luke laid back, more relaxed, took his shoes off, showing Yoda that he was comfortable being there. Yoda never made any attempt to change out of the bath towel. <laughs> so what's with the Darth Vader robot, Luke said. Oh, that? I salvaged it and repurposed it. For what? Pleasure. <laughs> the air in the room changed. Luke and Yoda's hearts beat more intensely. They could feel it. R2 switched the music to a more intense song. Luke shyly took off his shirt. You know... I'm not exactly sure how I should act. How do you want me? Just treat me like you would Yoda, Luke. Come on. Yoda led Luke to the makeshift bed in the corner of the hut. As they walked, the tattered bath towel around Yoda slowly slipped off, revealing a super tight ass. <laughs> Luke bit his lip. He was excited. Luke laid down on the bed and Yoda climbed on top. The two began passionately kissing, caressing each other. They could feel the force flow through both of them, pulling them closer and closer together. Luke pushed Yoda back softly. He stared deep into the green man's eyes. I'm ready, Luke said. Take me. I'm not the one you want. I just want to watch. Watch what? Yoda threw his hand up and the lights on the Darth Vader robot blinked. The automaton came to life and stiffly shuffled towards the two men. Vaderbot, disrobe. 
The robot started to remove its clothing, revealing a body with soft skin and tight muscles. As Vaderbot removed his pants, Luke was surprised that there was no penis, just a wet, shaved robo-vagina. The robot, of course, kept the helmet on. Yoda dismounted Luke and lit a cigarette. The Vaderbot straddled Luke and started grinding its pelvis against Luke's throbbing crotch area. Luke couldn't take it anymore. He pushed the Vaderbot on the other side of the bed and ripped his pants off. It was time. Go for it, Luke. Luke grabbed his totally huge dick and prepared to enter Vaderbot's pussy. He tried to stay on target, navigating the approach like a run through Beggar's Canyon. Finally, he entered. Slowly, he fucked the robot. Come on. Use more force, Luke. Luke began to push harder and harder into Vaderbot's pussy. The lights on the robot went crazy and pre-recorded sounds of pleasure emitted from its speakers. How does it feel, Luke? Sweating and breathing heavily, Luke stared into the deep, man, deep green... He looked into Yoda's eyes. And he said, Dude, Vader's pussy is so tight. Guys, man, I'm so good. Have a nice night. Mike Logan! Thank you, DJ Public Domain. <laughs> Your next comedian helps run an open mic here every Wednesday. He's a member of I Note Home Humor. Please give it up for Jeremy Riley. Oh, hello, hello, everybody. I'm going to tell you all a story entitled Super Mario Bang Bros. The heat from the lava rises as our hero runs, jumps, and drops his nuts onto some punk-ass skeleton turtle. His bones fall into a tidy pile on the floor as our mustached hero pulls his short but fat cock out. He grips it furiously like he's strangling a Goomba. As urine sprays out all over the, bro the bones, he cries out, It's a me, Mario! He pulls up his blue overalls and makes his way for the large red doors where pink dress soaked in Koopa cum hangs on the doorknob. Mario puts the drip to his dress to his lips, sucks softly and says, Bowser. <laughs> he bursts through the door to find Princess Peach gagged and bound against a wall. As Bowser spanks her ass screaming out, Fifty Shades of Peach, bitch! It's like Fifty Shades of Grey. You guys get it? It's... Uh, Mario checks his pocket for a flower but finds nothing but a mushroom. In that moment, Mario drops his pants and the tip of his tiny penis screams out, It's -a me, Ganaria! In that moment, his balls shoot out fire through his cock hitting Bowser in the face like a fiery bukkake. Bowser stumbles back, a bullet bill falling out of his butt cheeks, hits the floor, explodes, knocks him into a pit of lava that is conveniently in his bedroom because Bowser's into dirty shit like that. Bowser drowns in the lava as Mario pulls out his wiener and says, I got another one for you, motherfucker. Pees a little bit more. Mario pulls Peach off of the torture rack. Peach drops to her knees and says, How can I ever pay, repay you, Mario? Mario pulls out his baby penis to Peach's disappointment. 
He quickly realizes what's in his pocket. He pulls out the mushroom and his wiener begins to blink and grow in size. (laughs) Mario begins to fuck Princess Peach in her mouth. (laughs) When the scuffle of feet can be heard across the floor. Let me get a little bit, brother. It's the best thing I got for a Luigi impression, guys. It's Luigi! (laughs) Uh, Luigi pulls out his wiener little bit bigger than Mario's is most expected. He's a little bit in better shape. It kind of shows a little bit better. We get it. Uh, as Luigi pulls his wiener out, a ghost appears through the door, scares Luigi, and his wiener crawls back inside his body. He proceeds to run away as Mario yells, John Leguizamo, where are you going? Peach begins to polish Mario off till he shoots rope after rope of cum all over her blonde hair and face. A few drops drip to the floor as we see a long tongue fly across the room to catch it. It's his good buddy, guys. You know who it is. It's a baby Yoshi. And as he begins to catch drop after drop, he begins to grow into a full-size Yoshi. He takes, I know I'm going to hell. <laughs> Yoshi takes a drop of cum into his mouth again, poops it out his ass, turns it into an egg, then throws it against the wall as to abort that abomination. <laughs> as Peach gargles the cum, she begins to rip off her mask, revealing that his toad Toad looks up at Mario and says, I'm sorry, Mario, but the princess is in another castle. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That is my time. Give it up your host. No way. Jeremy Riley. <laughs> your next comedian writes a blog called Pretty Nerdy Things. She also writes for Geek Adelphia. Delphia, excuse me. Please give it up for Laura Hargrave. Evening fell over 1882 Gerard Street, and for once the house was quiet. Jesse Katsopoulos crept in through the kitchen door, (laughs) motorcycle helmet in hand. It had been a good day at the Smash Club. He had arranged for his friends and family to put on another poorly organized and inexplicably well-attended showcase this weekend. (laughs) With the house empty, he could play his instruments and moose his hair in peace. He was ready to settle in for a quiet evening of making noise in the basement, alone when he heard them. Cartoons. Blaring from the living room were the boings and bangs and bells of Hanna-Barbera's classic fare. Far from annoyed, Jesse found himself stiffening in anticipation. Could he and Joey really have the house all to themselves? On a school night? Joey Gladstone lay naked across the family sofa, Comet at his feet, and Mr. Woodchuck across his lap. Really, Joseph? Jesse asked, cracking a smile at his lover's choice of attire. Careful, Jesse, I've got... Wood! Joey smirked. 
Jesse stared at him, trying not to acknowledge the Felton rodent across Joey's crotch. <laughs> Comet, go upstairs, Jesse said, turning his attention to the golden retriever, who barked charmingly before leaving the room. You, he pointed at Joey, get that weasel off your woodpecker. It's a woodchuck, Joey said indignantly. I know it's a woodchuck, huh? Jesse said mockingly. Now come on, who knows how long we have before someone gets home. Danny's on a date, and the girls are... Who cares? They're somewhere. They're not our kids anyway. Joey grinned. Jesse shrugged out of his leather jacket, tossing his helmet onto the nearby chair. Joey sat up, letting the puppet fall to the floor and exposing himself fully to Jesse, who quickly pulled off his black t-shirt and struggled out of his painfully tight acid-washed jeans, fighting to get them over his erection. Joey reached out and seized Jesse by the waistband of his painfully tight, acid-washed underwear and pulled him onto the couch. As their lips touched, Jesse sunk onto the couch. Joey ran his hands up and down his lover's body, careful to avoid his perfectly quaffed mullet. Joey turned Jesse over and prepared to take the musician in the butthole. What the heck are you two doing? came the voice from the hallway. Danny Tanner, in all of his lean, mortified glory, stood awkwardly in the foyer, six feet of windbreaker, and khakis. <laughs> Hello, Jesse and Joey said, uncomfortably in unison. If I've asked you once, I've asked you a thousand times. Put a towel down. And, and call me. <laughs> Danny sounded stung. They never asked him to join in, and it really hurt his feelings. <laughs> Danny, I'm sorry. Joey stood up, still completely naked, tripping over Mr. Woodchuck as he crossed the room. Do you want a hug? Actually, I do. Danny hugged Joey, and the shitty comedian felt his best friend hardened against his leg. <laughs> Joey backed away, now kind of uncomfortable. Danny stared at Jesse and jo Joey hopefully, not unlike the golden retriever they had just sent upstairs. Eh, <laughs> ah, what the hey, Jesse said, surrendering. I'll get the towels, Danny said excitedly going into Joey's alcove and seizing several brown towels from out of the middle drawer. Were you guys going to do this with no lube? What were you thinking? Joey rolled his eyes at Jesse. Come on, Danny, let's just do this, Jesse said. Danny threw his clothes on the floor and excitedly threw himself at Joey, putting his man-child friend's cock into his mouth. <laughs> Joey sighed contentedly. Oh, Danny, cut it out, he moaned. <laughs> Jealously, Jesse tried to pry Joey away from Danny. Oh, come on, Jess, I'm just trying to get my rocks off, Joey said, putting his hands on either side of his cock like antlers. <laughs> Jesse succeeded in retrieving Joey and bent him over, sliding in without Danny's recommended bottle of lube. Joey moaned in pain. Oh, now I know why they call you Jesse and the Rippers, he whimpered. <laughs> I'm actually really proud of that. <laughs> Danny thrust his long, awkward penis into Joey's mouth. Jesse reached around to touch Joey because it was the polite thing to do, and they're all family. For a moment... <laughs> I'm not proud of that one. Uh, for a moment, the only sounds were the moans of the two brothers-in-law and the cartoon so loved by the emotionally stunted man in between them. Danny and Jesse stared awkwardly at one another for a long moment until Danny pulled Jesse's shoulders into the most bizarre hug the ridiculously large house had ever seen. And it had seen some weird hugs. 
The moment the hug began, Danny came, exploding in Joey's face. Joey did an involuntarily Popeye impression as he choked. (laughs) Then, thundering throughout the room, Have mercy! And then Joey came too, while Danny attempted in vain to mop the semen off the floors with the designated sex towels. When it was all over, Jesse grimaced sheepishly at Danny. I'm sorry we tried to leave you out, Danny. We should have considered your feelings before we had sex without you. (laughs) It's all right, Jess, Danny said. Touching music began to play, and they all began to hug. You're in big trouble, mister, came a voice from the kitchen. Michelle appeared in the doorway, wagging her obnoxious little finger at the three men who pretty much bowed to her every whim. You never saw anything, Jesse said firmly. Capiche? You got it, dude. My name is Laura Hargraves. Can you turn it down a little at least? I like that that for some reason comics feel the need to add their name at the end. Like, don't forget who wrote this. This is important. Your next comedian is the reigning, defending, amateur round champion! Give it up for Paul! It's a very patriotic entrance. It's always good. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this one is called, We Should Dolphinately Scale Back on These Fish Puns. <laughs> Which is great, he's got two fish puns in and of itself, which... Okay. Ariel sighed as she looked out at the sea from her castle. Yes, yes. Although her wedding to Prince Eric had taken place only a few days ago, the Little Mermaid, who despite holding this moniker, was in fact 18, realized that she had made a terrible mistake. Life with Eric was not shaping up the way she had hoped it would. She found out on their wedding night that rather than possessing a giant squid in his trousers, his hook and tackle was more comparable to a shrimp. (laughs) She had tried numerous methods to address this issue. To spice things up, she tried gadgets and gizmos aplenty. (laughs) She'd used who's-its and what's-its galore. (laughs) Thingamabobs? Oh, she tried 20. But in the end, it was not enough. Like every Disney princess in the 90s, she wanted more. (laughs) It was this desire that caused her to leave silently one night, to take to the sea once more, drifting with the waves until she found herself in the land famous for nights of wild passion and endless romance, New England. (laughs) It was while she was drifting along the shore of this small resort town that she saw him. The man was so unlike the prince that she had so hastily married. The man had broad shoulders, large glasses that highlighted his brown eyes, and a hairline that was receding just enough to completely drive her wild. This was a man who had seen the hardships of life, who had worked with his hands, and Ariel knew that she now wanted his hands to work over her. She wanted more than anything to be part of her world. Police Chief Martin Brody was patrolling the, sh- <laughs> was patrolling the shoreline when he saw what appeared to be a woman floating in the surf. She was pretty far out and appeared to be alone. Brody sighed. The season hadn't even started yet, and already the tourists were causing him headaches. Excuse me, miss, are you all right? He called out. 
the surf crashing around his ankles. Seeing her chance, Ariel swam quickly to the Adonis standing before her, rising from the water like Venus herself. Deep in her loins was a lustful fire that, what's the word? Burned. <laughs> There's a lot of those, so I, I, I'm glad you all enjoyed them. <clears throat> Are you all right, miss? It's not safe to swim alone, Brody said to her as she approached. Then why don't you come in and join me? The Little Mermaid, who I re again reiterate, was 18, <laughs> replied with a wink, sliding her shoulder out of her top to provide him with a glimpse of her seashelled sea cups by the seashore. <laughs> Miss, I'm flattered, but I am already happily married, Brody stammered, averting his gaze from the young woman. And you really shouldn't be out there so deep. But darling... I'm a mermaid. I'm used to life under the sea, Ariel said, moving closer to take his hand, guiding it slowly up her inner thigh. And besides, don't you know it's better down where it's wetter? <laughs> Brody quickly pulled his hand away from the warmth of the sea maiden's tackle box. Although admittedly attracted to the young sea maiden before him, Brody had a code of conduct to maintain. He agreed to drive the young woman into town, but reminded her again that he was spoken for. Ariel begrudgingly agreed, but was not going to take no for an answer. She planned to show him just how many wonders one cavern could hold. <laughs> After dropping off the woman in town, Brody went to see the only person he could think of that would be able to help him address his stalker from the deep. Quint, Brody called to the fisherman, who was half through a liquor bottle on the deck of his boat, the Orca. Aye, what can I do for you, chiefie? <laughs> That's the best you're going to get, so I hope... The... yes... <clears throat> The sea-hardened man replied, welcoming the man on board without putting down his bottle. You've dealt with sea creatures all your life, Brody began, trying to explain the situation. What do you do when one of them is using their aquatic wiles to tempt you? Quint gave Brody a knowing look that both assured him that he'd come to the right person, but also heavily implied that Quint had likely had more than one sexual encounter with a manatee. <laughs> when I was younger, Chiefy, I was in Indianapolis. You were on the Indianapolis, the one that delivered the atomic bomb during World War II? No, I was in the city of Indianapolis. Known for their speed dating, it is. Eleven, eleven hundred men go into the nightclub to find their books and bombshells. But the woman in there, they're like sharks. They stare at you like a piece of meat with those lifeless black eyes. Like Kim Kardashian's eyes. So we make tight-knit groups, but the women, they come circling. I don't know how many bachelors we lost tonight, but some, they don't come back. That year in Indianapolis, 1,100 men go into the club. 316 men come out. The Cougars, they get the rest. <laughs> you never know what life is going to chew you up and tie you down. You have to follow the tides of your heart. Does that answer your question, Chief? I just, if I give in to these strong feelings for her, how do I even go about pleasuring a mermaid? Quint nodded pointing out of the vast wave stretching before them and handing Brody a condom from his back pocket. <laughs> Whether on sea or land, a woman is a woman. Penis goes in the condom. Condom goes in the vagina. Clitoris in the vagina. Our clitoris. <laughs> you focus on that, Chiefy, and you'll be sending her into 20,000 leagues of ecstasy. <laughs> As for me, the sea is my mistress. No one creature on this earth is enough to tie down the likes of me. All the creatures within her are a red lobster's limited time, all-you-can-eat buffet of pleasure. <laughs> Just beneath the orca's hull, another character is being introduced, because, you know, there wasn't enough already. 
Bruce, the great white shark, heard every word that Quint had spoken, and his heart broke. Bruce had been pursuing Quint for quite some time now, and had been working up to the nerve to ask him out. Before Quint, Bruce had long thought that he would be a loner, a rogue, never looking back at the heartaches of the past, always swimming forward, both metaphorically and literally, because if he ever did stop moving forward, he would die, because he is a shark, and that is one of the few facts about sharks that everyone should know. When Bruce had first seen Quint, his heart had skipped a beat. It went, ba-dump, 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 bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum-bum. But now, hearing him say this, he knew that he would have to demonstrate his love through drastic measures. The shark burst from the waves landing on the deck and surprising its occupants. Quick, get the barrels, Quint shouted to Brody, who was wrestling with the shark. As they attached the large yellow barrel to the shark, Bruce made his move. The great white used his teeth to shred Quint's pants, revealing his own great white, which stood proud and erect. The shark then proceeded to slide Quint's member into his gaping maw, providing the razor-sharp bestial fellatio that most men could only dream of. <laughs> Another barrel, Quint cried out, attaching the second barrel to the shark in between shudders of pleasure. However, even this had little effect. I don't believe it, Brody exclaimed, inadvertently becoming somewhat aroused at the scene unfolding before him. Two barrels and he's going down again. Another barrel, Quint roared, knowing that he could only hold off the impending eruption building within him for a little more. The shark's smooth as sandpaper skin was too much for him to handle, yet the shark persisted. It's still going down, Brody cried, embracing the voyeuristic position he found himself in and lightly touching himself through his trousers. He can't go down with three barrels, Quint moaned. Not with three, he can't! But down he went. And with a scream, Quint released his load as the shark erupted into a feeding frenzy, taking Quint's lower half into his body. <laughs> the shark could not stand it anymore and needed to feel the man inside him. With a splash, the pair fell off the boat and into the waters below. Brody stood, stunned at what he had just witnessed, and struggling with the arousal that he still felt when he felt a hand on his shoulder. He turned to see Ariel, who had followed him to the docks. I wonder, she said, reaching down and taking hold of his erect fishing rod, if I could help you bait that hook. It was then that Brody realized that he was still holding the condom that Quint had given him. Thinking back to the words of his friend, Brody nodded, and the pair made their way to the closest hotel on the island. Upon entering the room, Ariel pushed him onto the bed and began to slowly strip him of his clothes. We're going to need a bigger condom, she said with a smile. <laughs> Upon witnessing the size of his shaft in its full glory, then slowly she took hold of his dinglehopper <laughs> and gently inserted it into her snarf flat shuddering as her young, but again fully legal-aged, body took in the much more mature man. Although hesitant at first, Brody was soon singing a different tuna as they went from floundering around to packing themselves together like sardines. Brody was getting hooked on this eeling as Ariel proved that she was no angelfish in the sheets, instead urging him to give it everything he had and to really get cracking. Just... Just for the halibut, Brody cupped her voluptuous guppies, and before sliding his hands back down her body to grab tightly onto her bass, she cried, Oh my cod! as the waves of pleasure became groupered closer and closer together, proving to her that he was the manta of her dreams. <laughs> Unable to take any more pleasure, Ariel began to moan, Oh, oh, I'm chumming! Ooh. I'm really not proud of that one. With that, the pair collapsed together. Each was exhausted, but feeling more fulfilled than they had in ages. However, they were surprised to hear a knock at the door. There, standing before them, was Quint and the great white shark. 
You don't suppose you got enough room in there for two more, Chiefy? Quint asked demurely, his arm around the massive shark flopping on the ground beside him. <laughs> of course, Brody replied. Amity, as you know, means friendship. <laughs> and with that, the longest and most fluid excreting interspecies orgy in New England's history since the wild parties of the Kennedys began. <laughs> as they basked in the afterglow, Brody looked over to see the great white nibbling tenderly on Quint's abdomen. Looks like you got tied down to someone after all, Quint, Brody said with a laugh. Quint scowled, remembering what he had said to Brody earlier that day. Oh, come on, Brody said, nudging Quint in his ribs. Smile, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Thank you. Walk away from the burning candles so that they won't burn you. Let's pretend that this is a Give it up for Paul! <laughs> who has no idea what five minutes is. But give it up for him! Your final comedian of the night works for the Collingswood Theater. Please give it up for C.J. Kish. Rain Man. I just wanted to give you a hug, Charlie repeated to Raymond. They had just finished dancing in the suite, and a single moonbeam from the Las Vegas night now cut a line of pale blue light between the two brothers, Charlie still recovering his stance after having been pushed away by Raymond. He stepped forward and extended his hand towards Ray's face, and with his pointer finger gently caressed his cheek, stroking from Ray's temple all the way down to his chin which he lifted so that Ray's darting eyes were raised from his portable TV and able to meet Charlie's lustful gaze. I just wanted to give you a hug, Ray. And something else. Uh-oh, Ray uttered and scuttled off to his bedroom. Charlie Babbitt made a stroke. Charlie giggled playfully and bit his lip as he followed Ray into his bedroom. He had never noticed how firm Ray's butt was, and now... Watching him scurry back and forth across the bedroom, he could see its fine outline in the fancy suit pants he had put him in. Relax, Ray, Charlie intoned as he began sliding off his jacket and pants. Why don't we take a bath? He gave one more longing glance at Ray, who was now also stripping, before heading into the bathroom to run the water. Of course, the shower's in the bathroom. Ray rubbed his hands together and called after Charlie. Of course, of course, there's no lube on the table. The lube is supposed to be on the table. Ray, Charlie emerged from the steaming bathroom in just a white robe. Ray, he reached into his black duffel bag and produced pure backdoor relaxing anal glide. (laughs) He then walked up to a now naked Ray whose back was turned to him, still watching his little TV, and pulled him back against his front so that Ray could feel Charlie's throbbing member beneath only a few folds of robe. (laughs) Ha ha ha, Ray laughed monotonely. Charlie Babbitt made a poke. Yes, I did, Ray. Charlie bit and sucked on Ray's earlobe as he reached in front and began tickling his nipples and continued kissing and licking his neck and cheek as one hand slithered down Ray's hairy belly and his fingers wrapped around his hardening member. Now, how would you like to make a poke? Of course, of course you mean anal, but this is Saturday and anal sex is on Fridays. Saturday's oral day. (laughs) Of course, of course, I'm an excellent pile driver. 
Well, in that case, Ray, Charlie said, slinking out of his robe and spinning Ray around to face him, so that their erect penises lined up next to each other, like traffic passing in the night. <laughs> I want you to be like Kmart right now. Do you know why I want you to be like Kmart, Ray? Because Kmart sucks, Ray answered. <laughs> That's right, Ray, and now I want you to suck. Of course, of course the water is still running. Ray struggled as Charlie pushed him down until Charlie's pulsating floppy clown shoe was leaving wilting strands of sappy pre-cum on his face, some even oozing like dewdrops and dripping onto Ray's glowing TV screen. How was that? Charlie asked, looking down. Wet. <laughs> Charlie left Ray kneeling on the ground to go turn the bathwater off. As soon as he reached for the handle, he heard screaming from the bedroom, and a frantic Ray ran into the bathroom. No, 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 very bad, bad, I want to die! <laughs> Ray! Ray, calm down. What is it? Charlie held and put Ray's head, overtly trying to soothe and calm him, but actually slightly pushing his head down in his continued efforts to get his brother to slobber all over his big old pud. Ray reached down and felt Charlie's ball sack. Hot water burned berries. My berries aren't burned, Ray, but the way you're playing with them is making me hot. Charlie picked up the unopened box of Trojan Magnum ribbed condoms off the bathroom sink and struggled hornily to open it. Ray, do you know how much a box of condoms costs? About $100, Ray answered. In Charlie's feisty haste, he fumblingly tore the box apart and the condoms scattered all over the bathroom floor. Ray's eyes immediately began scanning the floor as he muttered, one, two, three, five, seven, ten, eleven, eleven. Charlie laughed at Ray as he read the half of the box still in his hand. Twelve condoms. Sorry, Ray. As he set it back down on the bathroom counter, he heard a shuffling come from inside the box. Surprised, he peeked inside to see that there was still one condom left in the box. We're counting condoms, Ray said emphatically. Uh-oh, ten minutes to Wapner. Ray suddenly began to leave the bathroom. Charlie frustratingly reached out and grabbed Ray's little sergeant. Ow, Ray said. Charlie yanked again. Ow. Ow. When Charlie finally let go, Ray scampered out of the bathroom and retrieved his composition book from the bedroom nightstand and began writing out loud. Charlie Babbitt squeezed and pulled and hurt my dick. Not to be delayed any longer, Charlie lubed up his blood sausage and entered Ray's tight little calamari anus. Uh-oh, who's in first? Who's in second? Charlie continued thrusting as Ray continued talking. Are you taking any prescription medication? Deeper and deeper, Charlie went until finally Ray hollered in ecstasy. Wheel of fortune! Look at the studio filled with glamorous merchandise, fabulous and exciting bonus prizes, Thousands of dollars in cash, over $150,000 just waiting to be won as we present our big bonanza of cash on Wheel of Fortune! CJ Kid, I'm going to ask everyone from the amateur round to join me back on stage. Please welcome back CJ Kish, Mike Logan. <laughs> Returning champion Paul, Laura Hargraves, and Jeremy Riley, get up here. Alright. I'm I'm going to quickly rem- <laughs> I'm, 
We're already running long, Jeremy. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna remind everybody of what everybody wrote, and then we're gonna vote. All right. So Paul wrote uh, Little Mermaid and Jaws, and then Jeremy wrote uh, Mario Brothers. Logan wrote Star Wars. CJ wrote Rain Man, and Laura wrote Full House. All right. By a round of applause, give it up for Laura. CJ! Logan! (laughs) It was polite applause, Logan. Jeremy! And Paul! I think I gotta give it to two-time champion Paul! Just put it on your own goddamn head. Give it up for the amateur round. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> yeah, that was Jaws he did. People on the other side of the room. <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to our professional round. They've been writing in the back since this show started. Please give it up for your first contestant. Give it up for Alex Perlman. Okay, uh, so this uh, piece is called uh, Game of Waka. Um, now, I just want before I begin, I want to point out that whoever wrote Game of Thrones down, uh, Game of Thrones is its own slash fiction, <laughs> as it is, uh, completely. So we're going to go uh, with this. At the, corner of, at the corner of Birch and Sesame, a lone bear walked into a talent agency. Two men sat behind the desk. Waldorf and Statler said, Oh no, it's that bear! Oh, this is going to be unbearable! Fozzie looked at them and said, Shut the fuck up, you racists! They looked back surprised. He said, You know what? I've been listening to you guys for years. For years. You've interrupted me and belittled me. But I noticed you've never said shit to a polar bear before. Waldorf and Sattler got quiet. Why did you come here today? I came here because I want to tell you about a new variety act I'm working with that I think your talent scouts would really enjoy. He goes, oh yeah? Waldorf said, what is this act about? And he goes, well, it's a variety act. It's set in the ancient mystical land of Westeros. The curtains open, and there stands a lone retarded man. He's wearing a draped robe over himself, and he just says one word repeatedly. Hodor. 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 As he says Hodor, you slowly realize that he has slowly reached inside of his robe to reveal his massive erect penis. A penis so massive and so erect that you get a little... A little bit envious at first, but then you remember that he's retarded, so you feel better about yourself. (laughs) He begins masturbating slowly and rhythmically. Hodor. 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 And then out walks Peter Baelish, also known as Littlefinger. Littlefinger says, do you enjoy the freaks? Do you? Is that what you're here for? Freaks? If you want freaks, I'll show you freaks and subtext, too. <laughs> then out works, walks Grey Worm, 
the lead guard of Daenerys Targaryen's, uh, whatever they're called, and, uh, and Varys, the eunuch. They both disrobe to immediately show that neither of them either longer have testicles. They then get into a scissoring position and rub their eunuch scars together slowly and methodically, while in the background, all you hear is Hodor, Hodor, Hodor. As they rub it together, their stitches begin to open and blood begins to triple out. Out then walks Theon Greyjoy, now known as Reek. Reek pulls out the nub that used to be his penis and he inserts it in between the scissoring location that has now been lubed by the blood from the opening. The slight squishing is offbeat to the Hodor, so it now sounds like Hodor, 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 Hodor. Behind the curtains open more, and there are the headless corpses of Ned Stark and Oberyn Martell. Standing behind them is Tyrion Lannister, you know, the midget. And he begins to bongo drums on their headless corpses. So we get a Hodor. Remember, this entire time a retard is masturbating. As this all happens, out of nowhere, the skylight opens up and Daenerys Targaryen and her three dragons come down from the sky. They look at the headless corpses being played on and begin to shriek. Tyrion Lannister, afraid of the lead dragon, realizes that he shouldn't be afraid. And in fact, that she is in heat. So from right stage comes the mountain. You guys know the mountain? He's a big guy. The mountain grabs Tyrion Lannister and walks him, puts him sideways as the dragon presents itself. And then the mountain slowly begins to fuck the dragon with the body of the living Tyrion Lannister. In between each thrust, as he pulls out, he yells, you're still better than that horse And he just keeps thrusting him in and out, in and out, in and out. But at that moment, one of the white gods or whatever of that land uh, turns Ned Stark and Oberyn into white walkers out of nowhere six seasons later they erupt in rage and they go like ah! or what cj could have made a better noise but they, they they do that and but that's when you realize that they have giant ice cocks so they both grab the mountain and they they make him into a, into a high five pyramid and and they fuck him in the face and in the butt at the same time, until he's nothing but just hamburger meat, getting just slammed and slammed, and you're dirty, you're dirty. Why doesn't this show ever end? Why does it keep going? The show started with incest rape. Why? And I'm the fucked up one. Am I the fucked up one? Anyway, so then, so then. Daenerys Targaryen says, I will be the one who will be queen of Westeros. But then Theon Greyjoy pulls his blood-covered nub dick out of the two eunuchs and looks up and says, "Uh uh-uh, 
I, I lost my dick for this. I want it. And then she's like, you want it? And he's like, yeah. She's like, come on and get it. And he eats her pussy for a bit. I don't know what that's like. I've never done it. Uh, <laughs> remember, though, the dragon's being fucked by a midget. And that, <laughs> that's when all of a sudden the dragon starts to make a burping motion. It's like, like a cat. Like a... And that's when the entire audience realizes, oh my God, I'm about to see a dragon come, which has never been seen before in a thousand years. And then the dragon comes, and it comes so hard, and it's everywhere. And Hodor is still masturbating alone on stage. And Hodor looks over and goes, Hodor? And then he takes his hands away, and you realize, Hodor, this entire time, has not been jerking himself off. He's been getting a blowjob. But only he could see the person who's giving him the blowjob. And it was Snuffleupagus. <laughs> the whole time, a giant woolly mammoth was sucking a retard's dick. And nobody knew. Nobody. And then he comes. And he just goes, Hodor! And then Bran... Remember Bran? Uh, he's the crippled one. He's like, I can walk again. And everyone's like, what the fuck? And then, and then I come out and I'm like, waka waka. Waldorf and Statler are blown away by this entire thing. They're like, holy shit. This needs to go live, on tour, everywhere. I'm going to book every arena. We're doing this show. What do you call it? And he says... I, I, I call it the aristocrats of Westeros. Thank you. Alex Perlman! Please keep that energy going for the next contestant. Please give it up for Tara Flynn. So this is called Taylor Sand. <laughs> Taylor Swift sighed as she pushed her bare feet into the Tatoonian sand. That's a planet in Star Wars. <laughs> she had just finished her latest album, Fuck You, Justin Bieber, which sold 34 trillion copies. <laughs> and that's only among the Rakata which is a race in Star Wars. <laughs> she was a big hit with them. So now she was on vacation. All alone. She had heard of the Sand People, or as most people called them, what is it? the Tusken Raiders. <laughs> but she preferred Sand People. It reminded her of the good old times. <laughs> When the scariest aliens she knew were Arabs. <laughs> she was brought out of her reminisce on her own success by the soft shaking of the sand below her. She shifted in her sand seat, realizing that the vibrating sand felt amazing against her clit. She started to rock against the sand, Chasing her nearing orgasm 
and exfoliating at the same time. <laughs> just as she just as she was about to achieve her climax, the ground stilled. She glanced up to see four 1.8 meter tan sentient masses <laughs> in t in tan garb cuz that's how was it Wikipedia <laughs> describes the sand people. Their faces were covered. Is that you, One Direction? <laughs> because since Zane left, there's only four. The masses shook what she assumed to be their heads. Oh, my swift, she cried. Are you Arabs? <laughs> Suddenly, they grabbed her. She screamed. Please, no, I'm not a virgin. I know that's like a thing for you guys. <laughs> I, I, my vagina tastes like pork. Will you leave me alone now? <laughs> but nothing she yelled would dissuade them from transporting them her to their base. A lovely beach cabana, affixed with mojitos and umbrellas. Taylor was very confused. Was this the harem Arab sex den she thought would be her sexy porkless prison? <laughs> it seemed kind of nice. <laughs> I, I just heard the music. Her captors nodded before making their way through the hanging V door. It's quite picturesque. She sat in her chair, looking around at her new home. Her eyes caught a controller that was attached to her seat. Oh, this was a massage chair. She bit her lower lip before hesitantly turning it on. As she enjoyed the continuation of her interrupted nirvana, she realized maybe Arabs aren't so bad. Thank you. <laughs> Please keep that going for your next contestant. Give it up for Neil Carroll. In a one horse open sleigh, o'er the fields we go. So, uh, so if there's one thing we all know about about Tiger Woods, uh, dude likes to fuck. But what if? Instead of fucking in private, uh, he had golf announcers there to announce what was happening. I think it would sound a little something like this. Uh, we're back from commercial break here at the Bunny Ranch in fabulous Las Vegas. Tiger looks like he's sizing up the crowd. It's It's been a rough, tough run for Tiger since he was kicked out of that foursome back in Lake Tahoe. He's looking to make a comeback here. I guess you could call it a comeback, eh, Bert? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Chet. Here we go. <laughs> Tiger has made his selection, and we are into the bedroom. Tiger is feeling the outlay of the course. He's discussing with his caddy right now. Not, not sure why his caddy's in the room, but uh, I think this shit's about to get pretty kinky. Here we are now. He's circling the hole. 
it's a well-trimmed hole, but lots of <laughs> lots of bumps along the way. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> See how he does around that rough terrain. He may want to consider taking the back nine here. Uh, now she has grabbed Tiger and thrown him, thrown him on his back. Uh, looks like she's unzipping his fly now. Let's see what she pulls out. Oh, it looks like the nine iron. Not, not going to lie. Thought it would be a driver. Nevertheless, she has it and she is regripping the shaft up and down. Up and down. Boy, I, I tell you, she really has a hold of that thing. <laughs> Chet, and she is going at it, whispering in his ear. At this time, we'd like to remind you that today's broadcast is sponsored by Titleist. <laughs> Titleist, official golf ball of the PGA Tour. Speaking of which, out comes the ball cleaner now. She... <laughs> she literally has his balls in her mouth. Her tongue is working its way up onto Tiger's wood over his torso. Strangely enough, he's still wearing his lucky red shirt. Now, now Tiger has her. He's lighting up his shot. He's taking his approach. And, oh, it looks like he has hit a sand trap. Boy, that is a tight spot he's in there. I, I am not sure what he's going to do about this. This could, this could cost him a few strokes. And that is what he's doing. He is stroking the rim of the cup, clearly remembering the coaching he received from his father as a young boy, and it is paying off. And, and now, Chet, it looks like he has successfully turned that sand trap into a water hazard. That pussy's soaking wet, Bert. Jesus Christ, Chet. Jesus Christ. Here we go now. He is in and he is really going at it, pounding away his bronze, sweat-soaked flesh, rubbing up against her pale, freckled pelvis. They are in the throes of ecstasy, instinct taking over as they partake in the age-old ritual of physicality, every inch of their being pulsating in vibration as their privates generate not just friction, but filthy, nasty, stank-ass, unadulterated, <laughs> animalistic, primal pleasure, the type of which one experiences perhaps once in a lifetime, the type of fornication... That can send most men into madness. He's nearing climax, and there it is, a one-in-a-million shot, Chet. He has done it again. I, I have not seen a finish like that since John Holmes in Sexcapades 3, 1976. The master at work. Well, that, that about does it for us here in Vegas. We'll throw it back to commercial now. And remind you to stay tuned for 60 Minutes later on tonight. And we'll be back after a word from our sponsors. Thank you. Let's keep that going for your next contestant. Please give it up for William. Uh, bear with me, guys. I have the handwriting of a palsied 12-year-old. <laughs> Bob stood in his empty restaurant, flipping a lone burger for no customers. His restaurants had a strong cult following, but low ratings. <laughs> He kept the restaurant open with the money he made from doing the voice of Archer on FX. <laughs> which airs Thursdays on FX. If you want more Bob's Burgers, fucking watch Archer, guys. 
Thank you. <laughs> Tina sat in the back booth of the restaurant, scribbling furiously in her friend fiction butt journal. <laughs> and then it gets real blurry and it transitions to being inside her head. It's hard to write that, so just that's what's happening. <laughs> Tina was laying on the on her in her bed on her bed. Uh, when suddenly the door flew open. It was a zombie. But Tina wasn't scared. The zombie, it's, she's into zombies. It's in the show. Just watch the show. Uh, it was the zombie of her dreams. A boy from her, from her class, uh, Liam Wilson. Uh, <laughs> he was a vision. Curly auburn hair <laughs> and a sexy chin strap beard that was well kept and didn't make him look like a homeless leprechaun. <laughs> his freshly zombified body still showed rippling six pack abs under his. <laughs> <laughs> under his well fitting Batman t shirt. <laughs> Uh, he he also t- he's got a butt. He's not. It's not flat. He has a butt, <laughs> which was fitted tightly in his jeans. Not Burlington Coat Factory jeans, but the kind of jeans you can afford when you sell Star Wars collectibles out of your mom's house. Uh, <laughs> which is a real business, mom. I pay taxes on it. Uh, Montina. Uh, moaned the zombie. <laughs> Shh, said Tina, pressing her index finger against his... Well, he doesn't have lips, they rotted off, so it's just his teeth. But he gets, like, I, <laughs> I can't do her voice. I know what you need. Uh, Tina dropped to her knees, reaching up to slowly unzip Liam's pants. Rigor mortis had already set in in his completely adequately sized penis. <laughs> My dad... <laughs> My dentist says my teeth are too big for my mouth, said Tina. As she she took his, again, completely average-sized penis <laughs> into her mouth. Uh, moaned the zombie, now really hesitant about this whole concept. <laughs> Tina sucked and sucked Liam's cold, dead cock. <laughs> for a while, I guess. I didn't really... <laughs> He's dead. It's not really doing anything. Until she stood up. She pranced over to her bed and bent over. I want you to make me feel like a pretty pony. Again, it's a thing from the show. I didn't make this up. She's a little... It's all right. Liam shambled over to Tina and began to fuck her in a way that could be described by a guy who's only watched softcore porn on Showtime. You know, the kind where they show tits but no penetration because your mom password protected the family computer. Like, just knock before you come in. Uh, they continue to hump. Genitals just out of frame. <laughs> Tina, yelled Bob. Uh, were you supposed to be saying all that out loud? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty weird. I'm, uh, I'm Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Star Fletch, Forget Paris, 
and slam dunk Ernest. <laughs> wow, said Bob, it'd be really hard to make references to those movies in a slash fiction. Yeah, it would be a mistake. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> Well, got in my way and I couldn't get to the stage. Your final contestant, please give it up for Vegas Lancaster! I'll remind you, my pairing was Groot and Poison Ivy. Uh, creative choice. Good job to whoever did that. The year was 1996. The universe, the limited edition miniseries DC vs. Marvel Comics by Ron Mars and Peter David. As Wolverine did battle with a leather-jacketed Lobo and Spider-Man fought a leather-jacketed Superboy because it was so 90s. Other cross-universe heroes, such as Robin the Boy Wonder and a leather-jacketed Jubilee, <laughs> found love and companionship and foot fetish play because they were not drawn by Rob Liefeld. <laughs> which is a hardcore comic book nerd joke for the true believers in the audience. Rob Liefeld can't draw feet. <laughs> Guys, if you're, uh, two B-level heroes, Groot from the Guardians of the Galaxy, which no one had heard of yet. <laughs> but had technically had their first appearance in 1960. And Poison Ivy from the Batman series, which was really cool, but had hit an all-time low after being represented by George Clooney in Bat Nipples. <laughs> Groot and Poison Ivy found themselves alone in a massive greenhouse by the will of the comic book gods and the perverts present in tonight's audience. <laughs> Poison Ivy who had most recently been represented by Uma Thurman. Did you know Uma Thurman played Poison Ivy? <laughs> I didn't think anyone cast her besides Quentin Tarantino in his own slash fiction. <laughs> Poison Ivy, mistress of plants, looked over the tree man Groot. Well, she said, somebody's got a sense of humor. <laughs> Look. This is a fan-servicing major publishing house crossover. So the gods are going to want to see one of two things. Either we fight, or we fuck. I am Groot. <laughs> Said Groot. <laughs> Poison Ivy nodded. <laughs> Fuck it is then. <laughs> I am Groot, said Groot nervously, a cartoon sweat drop appearing on his forehead. Groot, you see, was a virgin because he was a tree man in lack of a tree dick. 
But Poison Ivy was no virgin. No, no. Not in the imaginations of fans who bought the hit series Harley and Ivy. (laughs) Ivy rubbed her hand in between Groot's legs, and magically, a new branch sprouted, firm and long, with a literal mushroom tip. (laughs) Apparently, Groot was a Jewish tree. Ivy pulled her 90s no-pants spandex outfit to the side and rode Groot's tree dick like a... like a wood chipper. (laughs) Not wanting him to finish inside of her for the same reason some folks are afraid to swallow watermelon seeds. Ivy stepped off and chose to finish Groot off with her mouth, swallowing his cum or tree men. It tasted like maple syrup. Poison Ivy looked very satisfied for some reason, probably because this was written by a man. But for Groot, something was wrong. I am Groot, said Groot. Poison Ivy understood. She understood Groot in a way like no one, no man, nor woman, nor raccoon, had ever understood him before. Ivy, you see, understood plants. It was pretty much her whole deal. She whispered something into his ear, and that's when things really got dirty. (laughs) Flowers blossomed from Groot, like that scene in the movie. A honeybee landed on one of the flowers to drink the nectar of Groot. Groot was so sticky and wet. As the bee drank, it rubbed its hairy abdomen all over Groot's stamen, and Groot spilled pollen grains containing male gametes all over it. The hot, sticky load of gametes drenched the bee's abdomen. Then, Poison Ivy emitted a sweet-smelling odor from between her legs. The bee's sensory antenna stood up hard and erect. The bee started flying towards Poison Ivy, making Groot super horny, or at least super thorny. The bee entered Poison Ivy's vagina, shedding pollen grains onto Ivy's pistols. The bee then found itself trapped in a sticky fluid and became enveloped in digestive juices. It turned out Poison Ivy's vagina was a carnivorous pitcher plant. Truly the supervillain of the plant world. (laughs) So, how do you feel now? Ivy said to her cross-universe lover. The camera then zoomed in on his tree face, and as a swell of emotion flooded the hearts of our audience, he said, We are Groot. (laughs) Thank you.
Lancaster. Holy shit, how are we going to judge this? I'm going to ask everybody to get back up here. Give it up for Vegas Lancaster, Will Lim, Alex Perlman, Tara Flynn, and Neil Carroll. Get up here. Oh, yeah, there's cupcakes. <laughs> All right. I'm going to remind everybody what everybody did, and then we will make a decision. So, uh, Will did... What did you did? Tina, what the fuck's the name, last name? Tina Belcher. Belcher. Tina Belcher and Kareem Abdul-Dabar. That's a cameo. And then Vegas did Groot and Poison Ivy. Tara did Taylor Swift and Tuscan Raiders, goddammit. <laughs> Alex did uh, Game of Thrones with a frame story of The Muppet Show. <laughs> And Neil did Tiger Woods. All right, by a round of applause, Neil Carroll. <laughs> Alex Perlman. <laughs> Tara Flynn. <laughs> Vegas Lancaster. <laughs> and Will Liam. It's super close, but I got to give it to Vegas Lancaster. <laughs> Guys, this has been the Slash Fiction World Championships. Uh, really quickly, uh, a few announcements. Uh, this is going to be available online for $2 or for free. I don't know how the fuck I feel about it. <laughs> but if I can figure out how to make it cost money, it's going to be 2 bucks. You can check it out as part of the Plus Two Comedy Podcast, which will have... A bonus track from Nikki Black, who couldn't be here tonight. So even if you were here, fucking buy it. It's $2. Or free. Like I said, I don't know yet. Uh, It's also CJ Kish's birthday, so we have to sing happy birthday to CJ Kish real quick. One, two, three. Hey, guys, you know what's not public domain? The happy birthday song. So uh, we had to cut that out, or else this would be taken down off of iTunes. So sorry about that. Also, I tried to get in touch with Nikki Black, and uh, she never gave me her thing. So that there will not be a bonus track by Nikki Black. Um, I know I could have cut that part out, but um, back to the show. Now you can tell people that people paid $2 to hear us sing happy birthday to you. <laughs> or free. Ladies and gentlemen, we're Plus Two Comedy and High Note Humor. We're here every Wednesday for the open mic. You can come here. It's a free show at 8 o'clock. Thank you guys so much. (laughs) 